0: Welcome to How My Country Works, with your host, Stephen O'Shea. Next up, located in the Caribbean, with the capital Nassau, a population of 400,000 and functioning as a parliamentary democracy, is the Bahamas. The Bahamas is actually a series of over 700 islands and islets in the Caribbean most of which are actually uninhabited. Though in 1978, the Pablo Escobar led Medellín cartel established a runway on a small island of Norman's Cay. The group could then fly huge amounts of drugs into the region from Colombia and after a brief rest stop on the Caribbean island, on to the United States. Whilst the smuggling operation was eventually shut down in 1982, it actually forms part of a rich illicit history for the island nation which played host to many pirates, including the infamous Blackbeard in the 1700s. In order to dive a little bit deeper into this and the historical and political climate of the Bahamas, I'm joined on the show by Christopher Curry, professor of the University of the Bahamas and author of Freedom and Resistance, A Social History of Black Loyalists in the Bahamas. Christopher, welcome to the show.
1: Yeah, it's, I'm excited about this, it's very interesting.
0: Absolutely. Well, I was wondering if you could just start by talking us through the early history of the country.
1: That's a great question. Um, So we have a very rich pre, what we sometimes call prehistory. The indigenous population of the Bahamas, uh, the Lucayans, arrived around 600 to 800 AD.
0: Wow, that's so much older than I realized. How did they get there?
1: Generally, scholars assume they came through the, the greater Antilles, the larger islands in the Caribbean, An island hopped into the Bahamas, uh, arriving from 680, like I said, and then slowly progressing through the southeastern Bahamas into the central Bahamas. And that was their main population base for a number of years. So the main point, though, is that they were here for 600 to 800 years before the arrival of Columbus.
0: Right, because it's the explorer Christopher Columbus who actually discovers these islands from a European standpoint in 1492. How did the interactions with the native Lucayans go?
1: Well, it actually, what happened was the Lucayans were basically forced into labor in, in, in Hispaniola uh, to the south as either gold miners, um, mining for gold and silver as well, or as pearl divers. But essentially, the islands were depopulated by the Spanish within about 20 years.
0: Wow, 20 years? That's so fast. But then it slowly starts to become repopulated through the years and the different colonial powers at the time, Spain, France, and Britain. But it also plays home to some other unsavory characters around the 1700s, right? Can you just tell me more about the Pirates?
1: So the Pirate Republic uh, is a period from about narrowly from 1703 to 1718, where generally there was no governor here. Uh, the last governor left in 1703 was like literally chased off the rocks. And found shelter, I think, in the U.S. And, and so you have relatively no government and uh, a period of, of piratical rule. Uh, some would argue that um, you had uh, Reed Elding. If not him, you, you had uh, pirates like Benjamin Hornigold and, and perhaps Charles Vane, who really controlled the affairs, the, the economy of theirs, one the Bahamas. But it did gain um, notoriety for the Bahamas and for a short-lived period. From about the 1670s to the 1720s, it it was really the, Bahamas became the capital of the pirate world in the Caribbean, particularly after 1692, when there's an earthquake that destroys Port Royal in Jamaica. And so I think from that point on, we would have become the undisputed champion of piracy in in, in the Caribbean.
0: Yeah, that's nuts. So real pirates, like those you see in movies, like the Pirates of the Caribbean.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I cringe. I, I will say I cringe when I watch some of the movies um, when I was watching Netflix and I was watching um, Black Seals. I, I couldn't believe the, the the background. They had all these mountains and and hills. And the Bahamas is extremely flat. Our highest point is only, is only 206 feet above sea level. So they clearly didn't even film the series where they were claiming it was the Bahamas. They didn't film it in the Bahamas, which I thought was a tragedy. <laughs>
0: I can imagine with those shows, it's definitely a lot more about the excitement of piracy rather than the historical accuracy. But when does order return to the Bahamas?
1: 1718, when Woods Rogers arrives and sort of gets rid of the pirates. And so we had that constitution and that form of government from 1718 to 1964. And that is really when we got representative government, uh, the British model with the Westminster system that was established by 1729 is the second term. He, he creates the the legal mechanism, I guess, for, for uh, a legislative branch to be established, the House of Assembly. And we've had representative government ever since, in 1729.
0: That's no small feat, having that long a period of consistent representative government. Believe me, given some of the other countries I've done interviews on, how does it evolve over the years, though?
1: So we, we had um, we had a representative government, but we didn't have political parties emerging until the 20th century. In fact, our first political party didn't emerge until 1953, the Progressive yeah. Liberal Party. So the idea of party politics is a relatively new, I guess, a new phenomenon in the Bahamas, if you look at the big swath of our country's history. And of course, with the emergence of party politics, there was a a very clear and, and decisive uh, move towards decolonization and challenging or, or, or demanding independence.
0: Right. So that's what finally leads to independence in 1973. But this kind of also ends British attempts to grow anything successfully in the region. And the economy is now driven by finance and tourism, right?
1: Tourism in the Bahamas accounts for about 70 to 75% of our GDP and employment. Whoa,
0: that's massive.
1: Uh, when you think about spinoff industries, et cetera, that uh, benefit from tourism, it's even higher. But the point here is there's obviously some problems with that model and people are now talking about it a little bit more concertedly ever since 9-11 in 2001 and then the global recession in 2008. And then, of course, more recently with COVID-19, people are questioning our over-reliance on tourism as our economic driving force. I mean, when 9-11 happened, the entire tourism industry shut down for a few months when the security of the united states was breached and had to be had to be reconfigured and that affected us dramatically and then in 2008 global recession again people stopped traveling because they didn't have the money to afford travel right but then of course COVID 19 was the worst the worst we've ever had because you know for almost a year and a half people weren't traveling
0: yeah of course but this still hasn't changed the thinking right there's still huge resorts being built and cruisers are already launching around the region again. It must be difficult to break the cycle. So who is actually in charge of doing this and, and running the Bahamas as a whole?
1: Right, so the 2 we've had a really a two-party system for much of our, our recent history um, from '53 onwards. Um, our current two major parties are the Progressive Liberal Party, that's the official opposition, and our current government is the Free National Movement, The Free National Movement was started just before we gained independence around 1971. And in 1972, they actually opposed independence in that general election. And of course, they lost by a landslide to the PLP. The PLP was the governing party from 1967 uninterrupted until 1992. So basically, it took five consecutive elections before the FNM finally won. The oddity in this is since 1997, we're talking um, over 20 years, our country has flip-flopped now back and forth between the PLP and the FNM. And so right now the FNM is in power. And, and my projections, just as a historian, it's almost inevitable they're going to lose and the PLP will be back in power. Because we, if you look at the trend from 97, we've just been flip-flopping. And that, that in my opinion, is not a good thing. It's not healthy for a democracy.
0: Yeah, of course. Because you just can't do any kind of long-term planning, right? What about any other options?
1: People are definitely now looking for a third-party alternative. But we have very weak third parties right now, um, and I'm I'm actually the chair of the the National Election Debate Series, and we actually have 11 parties registered, right? But some of these parties, their base is like 200 persons or less, you know? When we look at polls, and we do a number of different polls, we have some parties that are only polling 1% or 0.5% in the total, you know, persons polled. So really, it still seems to be a two-party race even leading up to our next election, which will be in May of 22.
0: Yeah, it can be so difficult for new parties to break through in any democracy that's been so dominated by two parties for so long. It often takes a massive scandal or something similar. And that actually kind of happened in the Bahamas in the early 90s, right?
1: Well, well, 1992 was the big moment when the FNM finally were able to beat the PLP. And, and one of the reasons why that happened was a huge scandal in the 1980s, around 1984-85, related to the PLP um, What happened was, this is the age we call the drug era, where you had Colombian cartels who were trans-shipping cocaine into the United States through the Bahamas. So they were using some of these same isolated islands I was describing to you earlier, where there was like a basically an airstrip. They could land planes flown in from Colombia, and then they could take the cocaine off the planes and put them on the fast-moving scarab vessels that would move the cocaine into the United States by boat.
0: That's absolutely mad.
1: And it became a big scandal. Um, in fact, at one point, there was a, a an NBC newscaster uh, who interviewed our prime minister at the time, Lyndon Pinling. And she asked him, you know, rhetorically, is, is your nation for sale? You know, because it seemed as if, you know, people could come in and just buy up an island, put an airstrip down, and move, you know, drugs into the US through the Bahamas. And that was the impression people had at the time. And of course, that became a huge scandal. We had a commission of inquiry because of that. And I think ultimately it did lead eventually to the PLP losing in 92.
0: Yeah, I'm not surprised. That actually brings us perfectly full circle from where we started. But before we let you go, can you just tell us about a festival or event or celebration that is really notable in the Bahamas?
1: Right. So our our huge festival, our quintessential national festival is called Junkanoo. And it's usually held on Boxing Day and New Year's Day. It's it's actually two parades. And what Junkanoo involves is dancing, music, spontaneous, and masquerading. And I would say it's gone beyond just masquerading. It's also a float parade because you have massive floats. Some of them are the size of two-story buildings and require five, six people to carry it. Or sometimes now, you know, you have to put it on wheels or on a truck.
0: Wow, that sounds epic.
1: Let, let me just say that junkanoo can be found in other places in the Caribbean, like Japan and Belize. But it's not on the same level that it is in the Bahamas. This is our national festival, and it really is embraced by all Bahamians, different walks of life, etc. And it's only in the Bahamas where it's really morphed into a a much more magical and artistic expression.
0: Right. How big are we talking then?
1: Over a thousand members parading on Bay Street. And the parade takes up to 8 to 12 hours just to get all the groups through. They do a rotation of at least two laps around the two main streets in downtown Nassau. So it's a much bigger operation, I think, than anywhere else in the Caribbean.
0: Well, that has definitely made my bucket list. Thanks so much for your time today.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks for the opportunity. And I guess we'll catch up.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think that's also a perfect place to end the show. Thanks so much to my guest, Christopher Curry. Join us next time where we'll be exploring the Middle Eastern nation of Bahrain. As always, please do rate us on your podcast app and recommend us to any friends that have a hankering for political knowledge. Follow us on Instagram at HowMyCountryWorks for extra insights and facts. And there you can message us around anything else you'd like to know about the Bahamas or any other country. This podcast was produced by Stephen O'Shea and sound editing is by Ashley Brown. See you next time and remember to keep asking How My Country Works.